Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and on this podcast, I will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger, healthier, and more confident man in today's world. Hello and welcome to episode number 56 of the Modern Warrior podcast. Today, I am absolutely psyched to have Australia's leading men's sex coach with me, Cam Frazier. How are you, Cam? I'm really good, mate. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute delight, man. Absolute privilege to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And perhaps one question to open up this conversation with is, okay, why is there a need for a men's sex coach these days? Yes, this is a, um, yeah, really feel really humble to be able to answer this question, man, because I've been on other podcasts and I've had some feedback before. That's kind of like the opposite to that question. People have been like, why the fuck do we need a men's sex coach? What do men need coaching with regards to sex? About? Like who cares? Kind of who gives a fuck about, you know, dudes and, and with regards to sex, we need to be focusing on, on more important things, right? Um, that's kind of how a lot of my work has been received in some communities, which is, I kind of get it. I kind of get that there's like a bit of animosity towards men, particularly kind of straight white dudes, people like myself. Um, and so I, I say this kind of with the utmost compassion, but I, I think that, you know, the kind of straight white dude demographic, just like people like me, people like uh, yourself, I presume we kind of need sexuality work the most we're kind of like the largest demographic of people where usually the people that uh, are most privileged and the most in the most positions of power and we have got a lot to answer for you know we've caused a lot of shit you know and um and so we you know i say like i said i say this with the utmost compassion but i think we're the demographic of people that kind of need sexuality work the most and so um to speak specifically into like men in particular, like I've noticed particularly my own, I guess like my own journey, my own personal experiences with regards to like masculinity and sexuality, like for a long time when I was younger, sex for me was a way to like perform my masculinity. Like sex is all about the numbers. It was all about, uh, you know, quantity over quality. Uh, it was all about, you know, how, you know how many notches on the bedpost it was it was like the the mentality and i've said this on a lot of other podcasts um, so i'm i'm going to repeat it is the mentality that i had at the time that a lot of men i feel like have is every hole is a goal right that's a um saying that we have here in australia i presume it's over in in europe as well but mm -hmm. um but it's it's the way that a lot of men approach sex and when men approach sex like that the sex is pretty shit let's be honest like there's a lot of people having really shitty sex out there and and what happens then is, you know, the, these kind of like really stereotypical and really limiting beliefs about masculinity and sexuality and, uh, relationships between men and women get reinforced. We see guys kind of like treating women as just like, a kind of, kind of as a, as a whole to masturbate into a lot of guys aren't really like deeply connected to their own sexuality, to their own pleasure. A lot of guys still struggle with like a lot of internalized homophobia, for example, they're scared of exploring their body because of, fuck, what if I explore my ass? Does that mean I'm gay? God, being gay is the worst thing in the world. Like there's a lot of like homophobia for a lot of men. Um, and this like limits the way that guys interact with their partners, their their sexual partners, whether they're casual, whether they're romantic, but it also then limits the way that guys show up in the world. 
So that kind of shame and anxiety and fear that they have about this part of themselves, their sexuality, which in my opinion is inextricably linked to who we are as a human being, then starts to either inform or at least limit the way that they interact with other people, right? They're, they're starting to interact with women or, you know, a lot of guys have this fear of, of um, maybe approaching women or of kind of being intimate with women or like the, there's a lot of guys that are, you know, dread the, the quote unquote friend zone, right? Because there's this idea that like you can't have a relationship with a woman unless you're, you know, in a sexual relationship with her, there's, you know, men and women can't be friends, which is a really twisted mentality that a lot of guys have. And so all of that gets perpetuated when we don't start to challenge these stories and assumptions and beliefs about masculinity and men and sexuality and pleasure. And so that's a lot of the work that I do, right, is, is I challenge a lot of that. But it's all based on my own lived experience. Like I said, I was I was a younger man, um, and I was approaching sex in a really limited, with a limited belief system. Um, and I was drinking quite a lot. There's probably a period of like four years of my life where every single sexual experience I had was was under the influence. I don't think I was sober once um, in all the sex that I had during that time. That was in my days of college in America. Uh, and um, and you know, the, the the kind of mentality that I had was like. Um, it was very performance oriented, I suppose, with regards to sex. Like I was very concerned with like whether I had an erection or not, how long I lasted. Like I was even concerned with like how big I could ejaculate, like the volume of my ejaculation. Like I was concerned with how many orgasms I could give her, like the latest technique. It was just like so performance focused. And all of that detracted from like, was the sex actually good? Did I actually enjoy what I was doing with this person, with this young woman that I was being sexual with. Did she actually enjoy it? Did we actually communicate? Did we see each other ever again after that? Was there actually a personal connection there? Most of the time, the answer to all those questions is no. The sex wasn't very enjoyable. In fact, a lot of the times I was having these sexual experiences because I was thinking about the story that I'd be able to tell my mates afterwards because that's what you do, right? When you're a young guy, you go out and have a crazy sexual experience and then you never speak to that woman again and you go and tell your mates about it and it's a funny thing that you can joke about your mates um about and so that's like the mentality that i had when i was a young man and i i'm you know um and i caused caused some pain and um and i see a lot of other guys have that same mentality and the 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 transformative part for me was um i seriously injured my back i actually fractured my lower spine and part of my rehabilitation um, to play, I was I was a soccer player, football player, and, and to play soccer again, I had to go through uh, rehab, which included Pilates and massage and um, just all these specialist treatments. Part of that was like complementary therapy, including yoga and breath work and meditation and just introduction to spirituality and new age kind of ideas in general. And for the first time in my life, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I'd actually stopped and breathed and slowed down and listened to my body and was given an opportunity to kind of like just be introspective and ask, what what am I feeling? What am I noticing? And there was plenty of times throughout a Pilates class or a yoga class where I just burst out into tears or had all of this anger like out of nowhere just come up. You know, I'm trying to hold this yoga pose, which I couldn't do because my back was so sore, getting frustrated about it. And then all of a sudden that frustration turned into this like deep surging rage and um, for no reason, right? Um, and so like looking back on it now, I, I, you know, what was happening was all these emotions that I'd kind of stifled and cut myself off from, cause that's not what you do as a guy, right? You don't express your emotions. You just, it's just all that banter with your mates. It's all surface level. Um, I was actually starting to notice and I was noticing them somatically, right? I was noticing them in my body as opposed to like intellectually trying to, trying to process them. 
So I was like, fuck, I can't let my mates know that I'm crying in the middle of a yoga class, right? I don't want to give the perception that at that time of my life, I was, you know, well adjusted and knew what I was doing. My mentality was still like, I can't let my mates find out that I'm crying. So I was like, I've got to go see a counselor. Uh, and I went and saw a counselor and they helped me just kind of like, just do some narrative therapy, man, just changing the scripts that I had about sexuality, about what it means to be a man. Like, who was I trying to impress when I was, you know, bragging about sexual exploits? You know, like what, what, what does that serve? You know, and like just challenging this idea that I had to be a certain way in order to be considered masculine. Like it's a, a lot of like narrow ideologies when it comes to masculinity and like the, the box is getting smaller and smaller and smaller for guys. And so to try and fit inside of that box is becoming more and more uh, anxiety inducing for a lot of men. And so I kind of just went, well, fuck that. I'm not going to do that. And I, you know, in, in the kindest way possible, I stopped giving a fuck about what my male friends thought about me and just started doing whatever the fuck I felt was right and authentic and genuine for me and that included like having sex differently as well instead of just thinking like i've got to be the assertive dominant person who's penetrative and who knows what he's doing i started to just drop that ego and just be like fuck i don't really know what i'm doing sexually here like i'm gonna ask my sexual partners like what do you like what turns you on what are you into like let's try that let's be a bit more exploratory and curious and that like changed my like that that point that kind of changed my life and and from there i started studying I was studying psychology at the time, but I started really focusing on like sexuality and human sexual behavior. Uh, and then I went into counseling, did a um, diploma in counseling and then did a graduate diploma in uh, sexology, the study of human sexuality. And then, you know, became a yoga teacher, started integrating like a whole bunch of the other esoteric and spirituality side of things. And and that's kind of where I got to this point today. Like that's a long story short, I suppose, is like, I see a lot of other guys going through something similar, like boozing up, treating sex, you know, in a negative way, um, treating women in a negative way, kind of like having these limiting beliefs about their own sexuality, a lot of internalized homophobia. And I'm just kind of like, we don't need that, man. It's, it's like, it's like, how do I put this as bluntly as possible? It's like, it's ruining your life. You know what I mean? Like it's to have these like really, uh, indoctrinated ideas about what it means to be a man and to then have to like confide, like confine yourself to that idea of what it means to be uh, masculine. It's like, it's, it's, so limiting and so narrow and so um and it causes a lot of anxiety so that's a lot of the work that i do today is like just trying to bust a lot of myths about male sexuality what it actually means to be a man and to be a sexual man uh, and then to coach guys through like opening up their like their emotional self their sexual self their sensual self how to communicate more with their partners and how to just kind of like change and transform their lives kind of in, in a similar way that i did um and i try and do that in, in a bunch of different ways so that's kind of why, man, why we need men's sex coach, in, in my opinion, at least. And, and we need men's sex coaches that are ethical and that have integrity and that aren't sleeping with their clients. And, and that's a whole other conversation, but there's like, um, there's a need for it. Dude. There's a need for like people mm. that are doing this in a healthy, beneficial way. Yeah. Reconditioning the, the way we look at sex or the way we approach sex and understanding that this has been down to our conditioning from childhood and how this topic was i wouldn't even say spoken about but certainly how this topic was uh, approached with your parents and having sort of this uh, stigma attached to it, this shame attached to it and you know i come from ireland and uh, irish people are completely steeped in catholicism and i come from that uh, catholic background where there's a lot of guilt a lot of fear and um sex there's there's something about sex that's that's frowned upon or the was frowned upon at least in, in my younger generation so and again this is coming from 
parents onto onto children, and uh, it's you know it's very difficult. It was very difficult for me to speak to my parents about sex. I couldn't speak to my parents about sex. It was almost like a, a t- taboo topic, and uh, and yeah, and then you're sort of left to your own devices. And I discovered sex through porn video tip, t- tapes, internet, um, talking to my friends, listening to their experiences. And then you, then over time, building up this false expectation in terms of what sex is and what it means to have sex. And I would have taken a lot of that on board and it would have induced a lot of anxiety in those intimate scenarios with a woman where especially if you're watching porn on a consistent basis, which, which I was, and you see the guy and he's, he's ready to go and, you know, full on erection. And you're in the same situation then with a, with a woman and you don't have an erection. You're thinking, okay, what the fuck, uh, you know, get it, get an erection. You need to get an erection now. So, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a uh, complete, complete, completely, uh, a completely uh, anxiety-induced experience where the body would shut down, the mind would just take over and uh, wasn't able to be present in the moment. And this almost full focus of her expectations instead of what I expected in for myself in that situation. So that's that's where I was at in my younger years with, with sex and porn. And again, I think there was a lot of shame attached to sex from my upbringing. And yeah, I think a lot of that is still very real with men today. And also I work with guys who do struggle with their, with their sex life. I mean, porn is a massive issue with a lot of guys at the moment. And uh, something I came across on your page there on your Instagram page was uh, ethical porn. And I'm thinking, well, what the fuck is ethical porn? And I, like, I'm interested. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, certainly not uh, demeaning it, but I'm just very intrigued as to, okay, what makes porn ethical or what is ethical porn? And if, if it's ethical porn, does that open up the gateway to unethical porn? And then you're sort of caught in that spiral again. So yeah, just your own perspective on, on porn, basically. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you for opening up this conversation. Look, I'll, I'll um, preface this by saying I did a whole two-hour podcast by myself talking about my opinions on porn. So, like, I have a lot of opinions. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll try and dial this in specifically to our conversation. Uh, and the uh, the first question, oh, not the first question, the, the first kind of like topic or point that I want to speak into here is like what you've beautifully just shared, man. And thank you for sharing is like, we don't talk about sex very often. Like as guys, the way we talk about sex typically with our mates is very superficial. Our mates don't know what the fuck they're talking about because we don't know what we're talking about either. And so like we end up, you know, kind of um, snowballing and derailing conversations about sex with our mates because no, they're not taught anything else to what we're taught. Um, and we're not speaking a lot to our parents as well. We, lack of sex education at school is pretty terrible. It's so, like the conversations about sex in the kind of like public domain are very... Um, let's say unflattering, I suppose. They're not very nuanced, they're very straightforward and they're oftentimes like 
littered with misinformation and um, and inaccurate information as well. So, like, we need to do a lot more sex education, right? Particularly like sex education in schools. I'm a big proponent for comprehensive sex education, but also even adult sex education. Like, that's a big part of the work that I do is just like educating people about sexuality in general um, and about what our, what we can expect from our bodies, like erections, right? we shouldn't have to expect to have an erection straight away because that's not how our bodies work. We need time to be turned on. There's also such a thing as arousal non-concordance where you can be subjectively turned on, like really mentally aroused, but your body just hasn't caught up yet. And so you don't have an erection. And um, it, you know that creates social anxiety and social situations where expectations need to be you know, managed. Like if our partner sees us without an erection, Typically, she's got the same stories that we have about our, you know, bodies. So she thinks, oh, he's not turned on. He must not find me attractive. He might not be into me, right? Am I not hot enough? All these sort of things can pop up when really just a bit of education around arousal non-concordance, which is, you know, like I said, you can be turned on mentally, but not physically and vice versa. You might have an erection, but not be very turned on subjectively. Again, that's a situation a lot of guys have been in before. They've got an erection, right? An unwanted erection, like, fuck, just go down, like, don't, you know, and it's, and so like, you know, education and that's really important but we don't have that right so that's the first thing i want to kind of like speak into is like that is really important in conjunction with talking about pornography right because we get a lot of our education by default from porn because we're not getting it elsewhere right so a lot of guys go well i don't have anywhere else to go i've got to look i, I similarly when i was a teenager i was looking at a lot of porn thought fuck this looks pretty good this is the way i'm supposed to do it a lot of guys have that same story if we were combating that, right, that problem with a bunch of sex education that was really pleasure oriented and focused on making sex safe and communicative and like, and just like good and um, comprehensive, then that would be one way to tackle this kind of issue. The second issue then is like, okay, what messages are we getting from the porn that we're watching, right? So to, to use the example um, that you were giving, which is really very typical example for a lot of guys that come to me for for sexuality coaching as well is like when was the last time you saw a flaccid penis in porn right like never you know the guys dicks bounce out of their jeans rock hard and they're ready to go and it's like well what the fuck how what like that doesn't that's not how it works like not even yeah it's not it's not realistic at all what if you could see like the build-up and you saw a guy maybe from a place of flaccidness, like build his arousal with his partner and it became normalized to kind of see flaccid penises. Like kind of call this the fear of the flaccid penis. A lot of people have this like, oh God, what do I do with a limp dick? Like it's just here. Like, I don't know what to do. A lot of women are the same. I don't know how to touch this limp penis. Like what do I do with it? There's so much you can do with it. And what if we actually saw that in the porn that we were watching? What if that was actually like something that was normalized and we saw a lot of it. And then when you went into a real life sexual situation, you weren't thinking, oh, the guys that I've seen in porn just have an erect penis straight away. What if you're thinking, oh, this porn that I've seen, they don't have erect penises straight away. No, neither do I. That's totally fine. It's not, that's, you know, so the content of porn is really important, right? And a lot of mainstream porn here is shit, right? When it comes to representation of like what real sex is supposed to look like, mainstream porn is terrible, right? And I make the distinction here between mainstream porn and what I'll speak about next, which is ethical porn. So mainstream porn, I'm not a fan of, and I don't promote it at all. I'm, um, I'm not pro-porn, right? Because I don't think all porn is good, but I'm also not anti-porn because I don't think all porn is bad either. I think there's a middle ground where I think there's more conversations to be had. Uh, and so why I don't think all porn is good is purely because what I've just said, like the mainstream porn is shit. It's also very unethical. People aren't getting paid properly. There's a lot of like back channels that are happening and um, you know, it's very capitalistic. So it's, the system's fucked in, in terms of mainstream porn. And so um, it's kind of similar to like your... Uh, like mainstream fast food outlets as well the the, the you know wage labor is shit like the the capitalistic systems kind of fucked it all and it's just 
horrendous, right? Um, and so what, um, like, what I what I think is really important here to have a conversation about is like, okay, what type of porn are you watching in terms of the content? Because a lot of ethical porn, or sometimes it's called feminist porn, or sometimes it's called educational porn, or um, sometimes it's called indie porn. Like, it's it's porn that's produced usually by independent producers, people that are maybe um, filming themselves or that are working for a small studio where um, it's run by people that have like an ethics kind of uh, like ethical guidelines that they're following usually by like some sort of ethical um, overseeing kind of governing structure. Um, and the idea behind it is like it's diverse firstly, right? It's got a whole bunch of different body shapes and sizes. So you know, probably you've noticed, and, and I'm sure a lot of guys that are listening to this will notice as well, that a lot of the dudes in porn are fucking jacked, right? They're just muscular guys with big penises. And um, you might fit that body type. That might be your body type. And you might be like, yeah, I feel super represented by mainstream porn. That is not the case, though, for a lot of other men, right? And so in ethical porn, and I'm just going to you know just say ethical porn from now on, um, is diverse in terms of like the cast that it has like a there's a lot of different body shapes and sizes a lot of different penis shapes and sizes circumcised non-circumcised small big girthy not girthy all that sort of stuff so there's a great range of um diverse body representation which is really important right if you see like for example if you're quite overweight and a lot of guys that i've worked with do struggle with some weight issues they see porn there's never any overweight guys in the porn that they watch and so they kind of feel like it's wrong for them to be sexual because the only guys that they see being sexual are just kind of jack dudes with big penises and that's not them and so when i kind of show them some ethical porn of like some bigger dudes really like enjoying themselves and getting a lot of pleasure and having this like really beautiful experience this pleasurable sexual experience with another person you know a woman or i, I work with um you know uh, guys that aren't heterosexual as well um they kind of go, oh my God, wow, like that's possible. That's actually a real thing. Like I can see a bigger dude who's going to cut my body shape being in that experience and they can kind of imagine it for themselves and it becomes a little bit more real for them, I suppose. Um, so that's like one reason why I'm, I'm a proponent of um, or an advocate for ethical porn is that representation. Um, but also then it's like the, the um, content of that porn as well is like a lot of it's consent oriented as well. So there's like, lots of conversations that happen before and after just the like in mainstream porn it's just the just the sex act itself right you never see well, very rarely do you see the performers talking beforehand and talking afterwards um and that is uh, most of the time included in in ethical or educational porn it's like really um oriented towards like communication and like hey what are you into and like let's talk about this like hey is this off the table for you and it models a lot of those communication strategies that are really important for real life sex right um there's a lot of uh, ethical porn that's between actual real life couples as well so there's like a lot of chemistry between the two of them and you know that they're invested in each other's pleasure because they are a couple um, and they'll say on screen like hey we're a couple hey we've been together for this many years like this is we're shooting this together um yada 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 so there's a lot of like um there's a lot of beautiful content out there. A lot of it's educational as well. Say you're into kink or a particular type of fantasy or a particular type of thing that you um, have heard about, but you're not really sure how to explore it. There's a lot of educational porn out there that kind of takes you through, guides you through it, says, hey, try this out and you know, stop here, take a break, you know, do this. And, it, and it's really instructional, which is, which is fantastic as well. It's a great resource. I use a lot of educational porn in the work that I do with men. Um, the other um, conversation here that's really important, I suppose, we've talked about like the kind of, what type of porn ethical porn is but another conversation that never really gets talked about especially in like these 
porn is bad or porn is good conversations is um, how is that porn being used? So a lot of guys, when they're watching porn, when they grow up watching porn, they're either sitting in front of a computer screen, kind of like I am now, you know, uh, cock in one hand, mouse in the other, kind of scrolling their favorite tube site, just jerking off, going through the motions and, um, you know, and that's kind of it. Or they may be on their phone today, uh, on their phone, lying in their bed, swiping or, you know, scrolling and the cock's in one hand and they're just kind of, again, going through the motions. It's very, um, it's very like, um, what are the words? Like stagnant. It's very mm-hmm. stationary. It's um, very closed down like if, if you look at the way you're hunched over a computer screen you, you're like your chest is constricted and you're contracted through your shoulders and it's very like just very closed um and so and so that conversation ever gets talked about is like well, if you're using porn like how are you using it so one of the ways that i talk about you know pornography with guys is like here's a simple example is like take your porn if it's a, on a phone or a computer put the ethical porn up on a shelf and stand up you know open the shoulders up, stand up, you like spread your legs, uh, go fully nude and just like start to breathe, like, you know, sink a little bit down into your posture, get to that like really powerful stance, start to breathe down into your belly, start to breathe down into your cock and your balls, like start to just like embody that eroticism and notice it in your body. When you stand up, you you start to become a bit more aware of tension patterns in your body as opposed to when you're sitting down, like your, your weight's being held by the couch or by the bed. So when you stand up, you kind of start to notice, oh, I'm a bit tight through my hips. Maybe I'll just move my hips a little bit more. It kind of invites you to open the chest up and roll the shoulders back because it, you kind of like, well, I feel that tension in my, my, my shoulders. I want to just roll them back and open up a bit more. Um, that's like one very simple practice for guys. It's, it's just standing up. Um, but other ways of like, you know, diversifying your porn usage is like, put some headphones in. Like porn's super auditory. Um, and if you're worried about like visualizing everything and, and being stuck to the screen, like close your screen down, put your headphones in and listen to some ethical porn. Listen to, maybe even listen to some audio porn, right? Which is just like um, someone reading a short story that's like really erotic or even like someone just acting out like, that they you don't even know if they're having you know sex but they might just be making all the right noises you know and so um and so that can be really stimulating and, and a lot of guys kind of forget that they can listen to pornography because you know they're trying to do it when no one's watching or they're trying to do it when someone's asleep or whatever it is and so you can be really turned on with audit- auditory stimulation you can use that to visualize maybe visualize yourself with your future partner or to visualize an experience where you're having like a positive pleasurable experience with someone like it can be used as a tool um, and in fact, that's like my strategy for working with guys um, around pornography is framing porn as a tool rather than as this thing that you become reliant on and kind of similar to similar to sex toys in a way, right? We can, we can sometimes become reliant on a particular toy in order to get us off. Um, and similar guys get to the point where they become reliant on pornography in order to feel aroused, in order to get off. But we can create a healthy relationship with that thing. It just depends on, on the type of you know, porn that we're using and then also how we're using it as well. Um, you can read porn as well. There's erotic literature as well. That's porn and you can read it and it can turn you on in a different way. So there's just so many ways that people aren't like taught about or like aren't open to having a conversation about because the surface level conversation gets had, which is porn is good or porn is bad. And we never really get further than that, unfortunately. And I think there's way more interesting conversations to have about pornography when we start to go, well, if we can accept that some porn is okay, 
and you know it's it's okay to watch that and then maybe maybe it's not okay to watch it all the time maybe we should say 20% of the time you should be watching porn that's the rule that i use with guys is the rule of thumb is 20% of the time use porn when you're self pleasuring so if you're self pleasuring 5 days a week you use it once during those 5 days uh, if you're self pleasuring for an hour use it for 12 minutes of that hour right um and it, you know another strategy is you don't have to use it consecutively right you can use it for a couple of minutes as you know as Porn really can build our arousal quite quickly, can make us feel quite turned on very quickly. So do that for a couple of minutes, then turn the porn off and then look at a mirror or just be there with your own sexual arousal and start to work with it. If you feel it's starting to wane and started to kind of dip off, go back to porn for a couple more minutes, right? Build that arousal quite quickly again, which is what it typically does. And then turn the porn off and close it down and go and play around with your arousal that you've just built up by using this tool. Um, so there's, uh, like I said, there's a whole bunch of like really interesting ways that I think porn can be used when we start to, you know, move away from that very surface level conversation of either bad or good or black or white. Um, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting and very interesting because I do come from a, a background of having a porn addiction and, uh, yes, all the unethical things. And as I've been going through a process of healing myself and understanding what's been influencing the addiction or what did influence the addiction. You know, I understand that there is, you know, it, it has been an escapism from pain, but also porn, I feel, offers some soothing and some comfort. And like a lot of this can go back, right back. And I'm sure you understand, goes right back to the relationship with your mother, your, your parents, and uh, if you did have some sort of broken connection or disconnection or detachment or rejection from the past that, you know, you're still carrying this pain with you into your adulthood and porn almost becomes a soother on which your mom could never soothe you for. So it's, uh, I have to put it in a different way. It's, 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 it's a cry. It's a cry for your mom pretty much a cry of comfort um, as, as I've come to understand it, understand it. And I do help a lot of guys with, with porn addiction at the moment. And that's why I'm so interested to hear your perspective on it. And so where do you go from there though, in terms of, okay, you've got someone coming to you who's got a porn addiction. Um, there's ethical porn and mainstream porn. Do you say, no, you know what? You've got to, you've got to work on, this healing force before we delve into the, any porn or do you start to sort of integrate the ethical porn through that healing process or is this very subjective on each and every individual or is the porn addiction as i said just a, a byproduct of the pain and it's not that the porn the porn doesn't really matter but the porn is just it's just their outlet so it's to step away from that do the healing but also to be able to and develop a healthy relationship with porn as, as they move forward or as i said do you just sort of let's park the porn for a period of time before um until until you're fully healed or until we we heal this pain that's that's influencing your behavior so yeah what's your sort of approach there yeah i appreciate you um opening up these conversations man because they're, they're pretty like high level conversations that that are still being had at like the very clinical level as well with regards to like psychosexual therapists and people that are like at the front line of researching pornography because it's not been like it's not very well researched right unfortunately they're like it's very um it's still it's still very inconclusive um so like my approach is 
like firstly, I don't take the addiction model to um, to my approach to pornography use. So um, I think there's a distinction here between addiction and compulsion. I don't want to get too deep into this, but um, I'll use the compulsion model as opposed to the addiction model. Um, and I'll try to, if like if a if a client if a guy does come to me saying I'm addicted to porn, I'll kind of like mirror his language back to him to begin with and say, okay, Norris, tell me about your addiction. Like, tell me about like how you know you've you've felt addicted to porn, and then once he's kind of shared with me his experiences then i'll kind of slightly reframe and slightly challenge and be like okay look let's maybe not use the word addiction it can be a little bit disempowering um it can take a little bit of ownership and responsibility away um let's like work on you know building a different relationship with this you know this thing right um and you know i um i recognize here as well like if we're using an addiction approach i suppose to pornography like thinking about another uh, addiction model approach would be like to, to alcohol, right? So a lot of people when they are um, sober, when they've overcome their, well, maybe not overcome, because once an addict, always an addict, right? It's kind of the adage with regards to addiction or the addiction model. A lot of people go, um, go into sobriety, right? With regards to their alcohol consumption, they never drink again. That's what a lot of um, alcoholics or people that are alcohol addicts will will do. My dad's a um, you know, 30 year um, recovering addict essentially, um, with regards to alcohol. And so like the, like taking that approach then to pornography would, would you know, um, necessitate the, the kind of approach to be like, well, then you're never watching porn again, right? It's like you, you cut yourself off to porn. You're never watching porn again. And, um, and I don't necessarily think that that's super like, yeah, it can be one approach, but in, in my experience with clients and, you know, with men that have struggled with watching a lot of porn, that's not necessarily the greatest, um, approach in my opinion and the reason why is kind of like twofold the first is like we see soft core porn everywhere we go it's used in advertising it's like if you follow any instagram models you'll see it like you'll get turned on by shit just people people in general you'll see people out in the wild right and you'll get turned on by people that you see out in the wild you'll be turned on visually by your partner if you have sex with them hopefully right so to to kind of like cut yourself off from porn because it's a visual stimulation that you're feeling addicted to doesn't necessarily work because there's a whole bunch of other visual stimulations that you're going to get turned on by ostensibly um so i don't think that's like like where do you draw the line when does when does something become porn that you're not supposed to watch right is it when a woman has got her breasts out or when she's got her breasts and her vulva out or like when you can see penetration like where do you draw the the distinction and draw the line i think it's a bit murky there um the um that's the that's kind of the the main reason the the other reason as well is because i think like there's ways that you can like i said before use pornography in a really healthy way i think there's like ways that you can use it as a tool to build your arousal to explore fantasies to be educated about something um and i don't i think it's like i think it's detrimental to cut yourself off to uh what potentially could be a really good resource for you um the other um approach here is like the, the kind of cold turkey approach, right? A lot of people, particularly um, that are working with uh, you know, people that identify as porn addicts go, okay, today, boom, you're quitting porn. And today's the day you're not watching porn ever again, um, which is like pretty hectic, right? To, to kind of say, and it's a big like commitment, of course. Um, but we know from addiction models and we can take like cigarettes, for example, here, people that are trying to quit cigarettes, the cold turkey approach isn't very effective. In fact, it's less effective than the weaning off method. And so if you're like, and so this is like the approach that I take to, to guys that are watching porn is like, instead of going like, okay, you've started work today with me, you're not, you're not watching porn again, right? And uh, until this particular date, 
I'll say, okay, let's take stock of how much porn you're watching firstly, right? And, and so some guys might, because of their intense religious beliefs, you know, they might watch porn once a week and they think that's, they're addicted to porn because they're watching it once a week because it's like, they've got a lot of shame and there's a lot of religious stigma around watching porn. Other guys might watch porn several hours a day and think that they're not addicted. So again, it's a little bit like um, subjective in that, in that. So I have to kind of navigate that space again with them. But then I'll say to them, okay, take stock. And then once you've kind of got a baseline for how much porn you're watching and, and why that's kind of causing you some distress, right? Kind of getting to the underlying reasons. Then the approach that I'll take is instead of going, you know, today's the day, you're not watching porn again. It's like, all right, well, let's try and reduce that, right? I'll, I'll firstly try and introduce them to some ethical porn and get them onto that. I'll get them away from the mainstream shit. And then I'll say, all right, let's, you know, let's dial it back a notch. And then the week after that, let's dial it back a notch again. And then let's dial it back to what I will say is the golden rule or the rule of thumb that I have with my clients, which is that 20% rule. Like if you're using it 20% of the time. Um, and then obviously if they're, if they're in a relationship, then there's a conversation to be had about, oh, could you watch something with your partner? Could you make some porn with your partner? Like, could you use your partner as porn, right? There's a whole bunch of other conversations in there that are really interesting to have if, you've, if you're in a partnership. Um, so that's kind of my approach. Unfortunately, it's not, I can't say like, here's the universal approach that I have to every single client because I don't like, we've got to be person-centered, at least in my, in my opinion, we've got to be like client-centered with regards to who we're working with and it'll be different for each guy. Um, but I don't like the... I don't like the cold turkey approach. The like, here's the deadline. We're stopping porn now, and and then like the, I'm not a big fan of the like the relapse terminology as well. Again, the addiction kind of terminology. I don't really resonate with it, um, particularly when it kind of gets wrapped up in masturbation and ejaculation and orgasm as well. The kind of no fap stuff. Um, it's mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge huge fan of it. Um, but it's been like it's. I know it's valuable for some guys. So if that's where they're at, that's where I'll meet them, and then I'll kind of slowly introduce my reframing and my challenging of those things and just just kind of ask I'll, I'll kind of invite them to ask questions i suppose about like why they have these why do they feel so much shame about ejaculating about orgasming about watching porn like what is it about it that you have that shame for and then again that scratches at the surface and allows us to go to where you so beautifully shared it's like are you doing it because it you know it's it's feeling a void are you doing it because you're lonely you're doing it because you've got a poor relationship with your mum. are you doing it because you've had some positive or you know, negative experience with um, previous partners. You know, what what's the what's the kind of underlying reason? And you know, I think there's something to be said for like it's okay if you're you know masturbating or you know watching again ethical porn for the sake of it just being like making you feel good in that moment. There's plenty of things that we do that we go this probably isn't the best for me, but I'm gonna do it because it makes me feel fucking nice right now, right? I'm, having a i'm having this donut and i know there's so much sugar and shit in it but you know what fuck it right now i just need to do a bit of you know self-care and and you know just feel good in this moment um and i think there's some value in that you know obviously when that becomes this um when you spiral right and it becomes this thing that you are always doing and you don't have any kind of control over that then it becomes detrimental but i think there's some value in having that relationship of being like you know what with full awareness i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna go and jerk it to this beautiful woman because i'm just feeling a little bit low and this is one of the strategies that i have you know in a whole tool belt of other strategies that you've got right if that's the only thing that you've got that is going to set yourself up for failure but if you've got it in conjunction with like all these other beautiful strategies that you've developed and you've cultivated that really work for you then great you're doing it with full awareness um and Mm -hmm. you're doing it with intentionality as well um that's like another piece of the puzzle with regards to my work with guys and their porn use is like 
why are you using it right now? Like, what's your intention behind it? And are you choosing to watch a particular type of porn? And are you choosing to ejaculate as well? Or are you just choosing this to, to be something that you want to explore a fantasy about? And it's got nothing to do with building towards an ejaculation or building toward an orgasm. It's just something to kind of like stoke your interest. Um, so again, having intentionality behind like behind the sex that you have, whether it's with another person or with yourself is really important. Um, and it, there's an interesting question in there, um, which I didn't really touch on is like the spiraling, right? Like going back to like the um, sobriety of an alcoholic, like if they have a drink again, is it going to spiral them into becoming an alcoholic again, right? Um, same with a, maybe someone who's you know, addicted to nicotine. Um, if they have a cigarette, they know they can never have a cigarette again because they know if they do, then they're going to spiral and they're going to become a, a heavy smoker again. Um, and that, you know, with regards to like the, um, I guess if I'd lean on research here, research doesn't necessarily suggest that going back and watching a porn um, or watching a educational pornography video um, that it's going to spiral you. And, and the reason why research doesn't suggest that firstly is because there's not a shitload of research into it in the first place. Like we don't have a lot of research for guys that are reframing their relationship with porn in the way that I've kind of described it. Um, so that's unfortunate. Um, but also when it comes to like, you know, spiraling in the terms of like needing more and more and more and more intense and more intense and more intense, there's actually a lot of really good research to say that uh, a lot of guys find a type of porn that they like and they stick with that and they kind of plateau at a certain stage and they're like, this is the porn that I like and it doesn't need to get more intense than this. If they see something that's more intense because the algorithm of the porn site suggested it to them, they might click on it. But a lot of guys go, oh, that's a bit fucked and they go back to like where they're, where they're comfortable at, right? Because again, it's about the comfort as you kind of so beautifully shared. It's a lot of guys are doing it because they are filling kind of a hole. Um, as opposed to it being like this escalating thing. There's not a lot of research to support the escalation um, method of porn watching, I suppose, is what I'm getting at here. So um, I kind of like mm -hmm. extrapolate that a little bit and say there's probably no, not a lot of, um, not a lot of uh, credence to this idea that once a guy has done the work to reframe his relationship with porn in, in the kind of way that I've described it, that watching some ethical porn is going to spiral him back into being like a out of control person with regards to his porn viewing habits. So can't say that with definitive, you know, um, conclusiveness, I suppose, but just based on my own experience with guys and based on kind of my intuition with regards to like how you're reframing your relationships with this. Um, I'd say it's probably, it's probably not a, not a huge concern. Yeah. Self-compassion is something that comes up there. Um, when you're, when you're speaking and something that a lot of guys do struggle with and I struggled with for a long time. And it's, uh, like I can only, only go off my experience and the experiences that some of the guys had who have reached out to me. And yeah, as you said, you sort of deprive yourself of something that you, that you enjoy. You stop watching porn for a period of time and this, uh, this deprivation of something that you enjoy and the restriction of it almost builds a lot of tension in your body and your mind. And you're constantly trying to fight it off. And then you have almost like a, a fuck it moment where whatever that the stress gets too much or you have a bad day and what is your usual outlet when you have uh, a shitty experience you go and you watch your porn to feel that comfort to feel to feel good again and then as i said within that fuck it moment you go oh well look i'm back on it again you know and then, and then again this is a spiral that i see some guys falling into so i do like your approach in terms of like the weaning off period and sort of bringing in the ethical thing and just bringing it down to like the 20 percent rule and like it requires a lot of discipline and support of course and accountability to be able to get to that point and also 
compassion, self-compassion. I think that's something, as you said, you mentioned the donut, but the sugar and, and uh, how good it feels to have a donut. And okay, maybe it's not great for me, but you know what? It feels fucking good to have this donut and it feels good to watch this bit of porn and it's okay. I'm just going to watch this and then move on. But one thing that I've sort of, uh, and again, maybe this comes back to self-compassion, but one thing that I've experienced from relapsing or other guys experience from relapsing is the the consequence like the, the after effect ultimately of how you're feeling and for me after i've done it and i've watched porn as i said maybe a stressful experience and i went and i did it and i have this sort of sense of emptiness that comes over me or a sense of just uh uh, fogginess that comes over me afterwards and i'm thinking you know what I, I don't want to be feeling this anymore so you know porn can't be good and i sort of stay away from it but um so have you had any experience in terms of okay the guys as i said they're they're um they're going through this process of self-healing feeling better for themselves and then they they go off and and they do it but then they come back and and, they've, and they're feeling the negative consequences of having done it again. And where do you take it from there? Is it like, you know what, it's it, it wasn't the porn. It's just that this is exposing the emptiness that's influencing the reason why you're watching porn in the first place. And that's sort of what I've discovered over the years is that what is what is what it was about. And um and again, like what what is the sort of context that you would um work within? If, if that was uh, if that was the um, issue after watching porn, for example, the emptiness, the the loneliness, perhaps it's ultimately when you're watching porn, it is quite lonely. You're there on your own. You're watching something. There's no one else around unless you're in a relationship, but and you're doing it together. But there is a a lot of loneliness around that experience as well. And is it okay? It's okay to be alone and to feel lonely and, and just embrace it or is it again uh try something else here yeah i i love what you brought up here man because you're you're right you can use that period of time after you've watched porn and after you've ejaculated right that's typically when it happens is after you've come you kind of got you kind of like come back to your senses and you're kind of like oh what the fuck have i just done right and it's uh, and it's um, and a lot of guys will as well they've shared this with me will like be watching the porn you know that they've just been masturbating to and they've just ejaculated and they'll continue watching for a couple of seconds. They're like, what the fuck is this? What am I even watching? You know? Um, and it's, and so there's like a, um, there's a phenomenon here, which is called um, post-coital tristesse or, or, you know, some guys will know it by it's kind of like uh, uh, slang terminology, which is post-nut clarity, right? Which is this idea that when we're in a state of arousal, when we're in a state of heightened sexual pleasure, we're in it and I, I frame it this way we're in an altered state of consciousness right it's kind of like being drunk it's kind of like being um intoxicated or being on a if you're familiar with you know hallucinogenics kind of being on a trip when you're in this like really heightened state of arousal you're not really you know thinking straight the decisions that you make will be different to compared to when you're not aroused compared to when you're quote-unquote sober so you've got to treat that experience like it's an altered state of consciousness um and so what do you do like if you're treating with respect an older state of consciousness, you you prep for it, right? You you prep for it and you you know you make sure you're in the right mindset, you're in the right environmental setting, right? Timothy Leary's you know infamous words of set and setting with regards to a psychedelic experience, and then also 
with regards to an altered state of consciousness, what do you do afterwards? Well, you integrate as well. You spend time going, okay, what did I learn? Like, what do I have to do to to um, nourish myself after an altered state of consciousness? What do I do to to integrate my my experience? What do I do to like um, come back into my body, right? If we're altered states, we're usually like somewhere kind of outside of our body, particularly if you've just orgasmed as well. A lot of people have this kind of like almost out-of-body experience when they orgasm, you kind of go somewhere else. So like treating yourself like really compassionately afterwards and having like a period of time where you're integrating your experience is really necessary in my opinion um and especially when you're starting to experiment with like not ejaculating as much as well because when you do ejaculate it might be a little bit more intense it might be a little bit more meaningful it might be a little bit more energetic so to speak and so you really want to make time for that period after an ejaculation where you're putting something back into your body right ejaculation if we think biologically takes a lot from us and and then if we think about it spiritually and energetically it also takes a lot from us like that's you know a lot of guys have that experience of feeling drained there's also a lot of ways that you can ejaculate to feel really you know invigorated and vitalized as well that's part of the work that i do um but like if you're feeling drained after an ejaculation what are you doing immediately afterwards to fill your cup back up like if you're if you're feeling like your cup's been emptied because you've just come are you able to like drink a really beautiful hot chocolate or smoothie or like something to like fill your body back up with that like nourishment and that quote unquote positive energy again? Um, you know, maybe that looks like, you know, especially like when I'm talking to guys with regards to like watching ethical porn, a lot of that feeling of guilt and shame after they've just ejaculated is kind of twofold. The first is because they're maybe watching some pretty hectic shit. They're maybe watching some like hardcore stuff and they're like, holy shit, like that's, heavy right and then you know when they've when they've come they kind of come back to their senses like wow that's pretty hardcore like what was i getting into um and so a lot of ethical porn isn't like that to begin with and then also the there's kind of usually a little voice in the back of their head that goes fuck i just watched like i was just on mainstream porn site like i know the porn industry's fucked like i know like the system's you know, you know, treating people unfairly and I've just contributed to that. And there's like some, there's that kind of like guilt in the back of their head to be like, oh God, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have used this website, that sort of stuff. When they're using ethical porn and I kind of talk to them about all the behind the scenes of the ethical porn and I you know, explain it to them and, and show them all the resources from it, that little voice is kind of alleviated. That anxiety and guilt and shame about like contributing to the industry is alleviated because they know that they're watching something that's really positive and beneficial and the people that were you know in the porn that they were watching were enjoying it and it was pleasurable for them as well um so that can be like a way that i've noticed the guys that are using porn in the in the way that i've described it kind of helps that period of time after they've ejaculated and then i also talked to them about like okay what are you doing immediately after you've ejaculated are you just wiping up and zipping your pants up and going about your day or are you spending time like honoring your body for the experience that you've just had? Like, can you thank your body for the experience that it just gave you, right? An orgasm and an ejaculation is one of the most like intensely pleasurable things that we can experience. And are you just going, okay, cool, wiping my hands and being done with it and just ignoring that your body just kind of gave you and gifted you that experience? Or can you say thank you and have a bit of gratitude and be like, oh my God, that was amazing. Like, thank, thank you for you know, allowing me to experience that pleasure. Um, and put something back into your body to kind of nourish it and, and give thanks to it and to, to express that gratitude. You know, the, it's when I've kind of you know, talked guys through that and kind of coached them through that, that kind of 
uh, aftercare, I suppose you would call it for for your own sexual experience, and also with your partner as well. If you've ejaculated with your partner, like again, what can you do together to kind of honor that period? It's if you're thinking like this esoterically, that's like your yin period. It's kind of your your yang is when you're really fired up and you're kind of getting into it and you're, you know, you're getting closer and closer and you're building and building and building towards that ejaculation. And then you kind of ejaculate and it's your yin period after that. And you kind of like nourish and slow down and, you know, be sensual and, and focus on touch and focus on nourishment. Um, so I, I talk to guys about that, you know, not only alone, but with a partner. And a lot of that can be really helpful for that experience that you're describing of like guilt and loneliness and shame and, and all that stuff that comes up, which can be really beautiful gateway right to going like why did i do this in the first place right like a lot of that introspection introspection can come afterwards when you're feeling that guilt and that shame why you know why do i have that guilt and shame here what's that come from is it because i know i shouldn't be watching this is it because you know i'm not actually really turned on by this it was just kind of what i what i think i'm supposed to watch because i'm a guy and guys should be watching porn like this or is it because i feel you know alone or is it because i'm feeling disconnected i haven't been intimate with anyone for a long time like that um that that time after you've ejaculated um as you've kind of so beautifully shared is is a as a gateway for asking those questions and for really asking some tough questions as well right and getting like really deep with regards to that introspection so it can be a really you know when it's framed in the right way it can be a really positive thing it can mm. it can answer a lot of questions i suppose with regards to like where your relationship with porn comes from and why you're kind of approaching it in the way that you are hopefully that makes sense yeah, I like that, man. Lo- I love that perspective. And yeah, the the, uh, the post-ejaculation offers a lot of clarity, doesn't it? You're sort of clear in mind and it's the best time to perhaps uh, get in touch with what's going on within and to ask yourself those questions. So that's really important. I do like that. And also you've mentioned it there, um, that this this no, no fap um, that has become extremely popularized over the last few months perhaps maybe the last couple of years i've only come across in the last few months now so what's your perspective on that because i know i've spoken spoken to uh taylor johnson about this who you've had in your podcast as well and uh he had a very interesting perspective on it. i'm just interested to hear your perspective on that like are you all for nofap or is this again um another trend that um is is being popularized for maybe the wrong reasons or what is your sort of perception on it yeah thanks for asking man um so yeah taylor and i spoke about nofap and i think he if i remember correctly i'll I'll kind of paraphrase what he said to me is um he said it's a good avenue for men to kind of start with um and it can lead them towards more maybe esoteric and spiritual ways of understanding their ejaculation and um he said he's like not all for it but he said it can be a good stepping stone i think is what he said to me at least anyway um, the sexual yeah the, the harnessing your sexual energy perhaps as uh yeah 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 so um so my kind of opinion on it is um Look, I'm not the biggest fan of it, and and it's I'm kind of not the biggest fan for several reasons. The first is that it's um, the language that it uses with regards to um, ejaculation, for example, like no fap, you're supposed to not watch any PMO, no no porn, no masturbation, no orgasm is its kind of credence, um, and so 
And so, um, and so when you do ejaculate or when you do watch porn or when you do whatever you are said to have relapsed. And I don't like this idea of you experiencing pleasure and you having a good time and you ejaculating and that being called a relapse. But I particularly don't like ejaculation being referred to as a relapse because I'm not a big fan of this idea of ejaculation being a bad thing and, and shaming, right? There's a lot of shaming of ejaculation, particularly in the semen retention community and the NOFAP community and the Tantra and sacred sexuality communities. Ejaculation is seen very often as something that's bad, something that you don't want to happen. And when that really shifted for me was when I was trying to conceive my first child. And I was like, you know, I was ejaculating more frequently than I was used to because I'm, I'm a believer in minimizing the amount of times that you ejaculate because I think there's a lot of value in experimenting with not ejaculating so often because it can challenge a lot of stories that we have. Uh, one of the stories being like, if he didn't ejaculate, it means he didn't enjoy himself, right? A lot of women have that story, actually. Like, if he didn't come, then he, he didn't have any pleasure. That's not true, right? We can experience a lot of pleasure without ejaculating. Um, so these... I call it the unspoken symbology of ejaculation. When we start to consciously choose not to ejaculate and, we, and our partner is you know, making that decision with us, we can challenge all of these stories, right? If he didn't come, does that mean I wasn't hot enough? Does that mean I wasn't attractive enough? We can be a really powerful you know, teacher for our partners when we choose not to ejaculate. And also for ourselves, we can then you know, open ourselves up to experiencing uh, non-ejaculatory orgasms and all this other beautiful stuff. And, and you know, it breaks the limits i suppose or the limiting beliefs of what we think about our own sexuality as men rather than confining ourselves to this five second sticky white crotch sneeze we can have all these really beautiful experiences that don't involve ejaculation so i'm a i'm a proponent of experimenting with not ejaculating so much i want to get that across and that's been my own personal experience um what i don't like then is framing ejaculation as this really deleterious depleting life draining thing and, and the reason why, like I said, personally, is because when I was con trying to conceive my son, um, I didn't, you know, I felt really shitty after I'd come, you know, in inside my partner with the hopes of conceiving my child. Like, I was like, I don't want to have this experience of like this really beautiful, um, amazing, powerful conception being tainted by this idea that I've just like shaved years off my life because I've just ejaculated. Like, it just didn't the two didn't sit right for me. Like, and I was like, there's, there's ways that you can make ejaculation, this really beautiful life giving life affirming experience. And it, and it is, it, it's a really beautiful, potent, powerful thing. And so, um, and so that for me was when I, I learned how to reframe my own relationship with my ejaculation to being this, like, can I honor it when I do choose to ejaculate? Can it be this really beautiful experience? Can I consecrate it? Can I, um, celebrate it? Can I integrate it? Right. And have this like, you know, um, decision to ejaculate. So I don't like the ejaculation shaming. I think there's too much of that, um, particularly in the NoFap space. The other th thing that I kind of disagree with is, is their whole approach to it, which is like, don't think about masturbating, right? Don't, don't masturbate. Don't watch porn. Don't orgasm. Don't, 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 right? It's all what you shouldn't do. And I kind of think of this as like, um, don't think about the big purple elephant, Right, And it's like, well, fuck, in order for me not to think about a big purple elephant, I've got to think about it first in order for me to then to stop and not think about it. And I feel like it's the same approach with like no fap, right? Don't masturbate. Don't think about masturbating. Okay, well, in order for me not to think about masturbating, the first thing that pops into my head is masturbation and then I've got to stop myself from thinking about it. And so like instead of, fr same thing with semen retention, it's like don't ejaculate. 
you know, retain your semen. Like it's, it's all negatively oriented, which is not, in terms of psychology, it's a very poor strategy for getting results, right? And you probably are aware of this with regards to guys that have that mentality with regards to, to watching porn. So a better approach to this is, um, again, in my humble opinion, is um, what I like to use, which is instead of semen retention and no fat, I'll talk about conscious ejaculation, right? And and how to masturbate or you know give you some things that you can do. Because there's a lot of, you shouldn't do this, don't do this, that, for men in general, right? In terms of like the mainstream narratives of society as well. Don't do this. If you're a man, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't express yourself in this way. Don't be sexuality in this way, whatever. Um, and so a big part of my work has been like, well, we know what not to do. How about some information and education about what you can do? How about some ways that you can express your sexuality really healthily? How about some ways that you can masturbate in a really healthy way? How about some ways that you can experience pleasure in, in like really expansive ways? How about some ways that you can celebrate your ejaculation in a really healthy way? Um, and I frame that as conscious ejaculation. So consciously choosing to ejaculate, consciously choosing to watch porn, consci consciously choosing to self-pleasure, like you know, doing it with intention, doing it with mindfulness and awareness and, and in a bunch of different ways as well, right? Like really opening up your toolbox of things that you can do with yourself to experience experience pleasure it's the reason why i use the term self-pleasuring here instead of masturbation is because self-pleasure may not even include touching your genitals it may not even include watching porn it may not even include ejaculating um it's just what you do that you find pleasurable in that moment um and so that's the reframe that i have for, for guys that come to me that are like deep into the nofap or semen retention kind of like dogma and I, I say dogma really intentionally there because um, it can become quite religious in a sense um, is I'll kind of reframe, uh, reframe the kind of way that they think about it and their approach to it. And so that's kind of the main reason why I don't really fuck with the nofap uh, mentality or the whole, you know, the whole thing behind it. So yeah, hopefully that, that, uh, yeah. that question, man, I, I didn't want to go too deep into that. <laughs> no. Yeah. I like it, man. I like it. And it's, it's, it's uh, like anything, you know, <laughs> People come up with an idea and they'll take it to the absolute extreme, which uh, may be happening with this nofap idea. So yeah, thanks for that, man. That that I love your perspective and and yeah, thank you so much for all your insightful information on this on this uh, episode. It's been an absolute game changer for me and I'm sure for all the listeners. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, where is the best place to find you? Uh, yeah, so on social media, I am at the Cam Fraser on all social media. Um, that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of the above. Um, but then I've also got a website, which is cam-fraser.com. And um, yeah, man, I'm just super stoked that you invited me on to have a conversation. And, and you know, I, I, I rambled a bit, so I really appreciate you um, listening oh, yeah. to me, dude, and, and just being open to, to having me talk about this sort of stuff. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, a very relevant ramble, I'm sure. So uh yeah, thanks so much. And you have a podcast as well. And, and I will uh, add the link to your podcast in the show notes below. You're on your 100th episode. You recorded your 100th episode, is it? And Yeah, yeah. hundred. Uh, the 100th episode is coming out uh, next week as of you know today's recording. Um, and I've had, uh, like we said, Taylor on the podcast before. He and I had a really cool chat. Um, for people that are interested in like pornography um, and going deep into the opinions that I have on it, uh, I've got that my own kind of two-hour podcast on that. And then there's another one with a guy called Joseph Kramer, which is, um, he talks about porn yoga, which is this idea of like, you know, watching porn in new and different and interesting ways, which is probably right up people's alleys in terms of this conversation. Sweet, man. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out myself. So thank you, Cam. And uh, yeah, 
go and check them out, everyone. And uh, thank you so much for your time here and your inspirational and insightful information. Thank you. Thanks, man.